Welcome once again to the Bible Idiots Podcast. We're Chris and Emily Danielson. So glad that you are with us during this spring break. And all week long, we are going to be bringing you long-form teachings. Now today, Chris is going to be in the book of John, chapter 5, and the title of the message is On the Back Porch with Jesus. Now, I know it sounds a little corny, but just hold on. Just wait until you hear the message. I was a little skeptical myself, but it makes so much sense, and I know that it's really going to bless you. So here's Pastor Chris, John chapter 5, On the Back Porch with Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 5 today, and I'm going to get to the scripture in just a minute. And the name of the message is called On the Back Porch with Jesus, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. And I kind of always get a little worried about naming messages like this, because I mean, it sounds so kitschy, like trying too hard. Today we're going to be on the back porch with Jesus. Tell us more, Pastor. But it's true. The back porch is something that's incredibly important to me as a human being. And in fact, the house that we purchased here in Abilene has a screened-in back porch. I bought the porch. The house came with it. I spend more time out there than, than you would possibly believe. That is where my life is. And the same thing was true for Alabama. Uh, our back porch in Alabama was uh, something that Emily and I just spent a ton of time there. And the people that bought my house in Alabama had the audacity to change it. They put in new floorings, and the, the guy who bought it's a Christian author, so he's texting me pictures like, I want to see him ruin my vision. But it's his house, right? And it's just like when I looked at the house that we have here in Abilene, I saw the dimensions of the yard, and I knew that if we could clean it all out, it would be it would be good for my dogs and we can have that back porch. This comes from my heritage. And I grew up in Minnesota. We had, a, we had a front step and we had a side step. And every night after dinner, my dad would get a cup of coffee and his cigarettes and he'd go to one of the two. And when I was growing up, I'd go hang out with him and we'd watch cars and people pass by. And this was still the age where company might show up. And then, then you could get, get to eat the cake that mom baked that was just for company. Did anybody else grow up in that kind of household? Well, that wasn't for you, dirty-faced child. This is for company. Okay, mama. (laughs) So the porch holds a big significance for me as a human being. And in our text this morning, we're told of a place where there are five porches. And it seems that for a select few, these porches were special as well. And according to the Bible, at certain times, an angel would descend into the waters there. And on a day, the sick and infirm were lying there waiting for the waters to move. Jesus showed up. So stand with me and read today's text. It is coming from John chapter 5. And because of this text, I'm going into the New King James Version. And I just, clean slate Sunday at Lifehouse, hymns and King James Version? What's happened? But you'll get it. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water 
was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask that you descend on this auditorium now and let these be your words. Speak to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. So I want to take a little time this morning to look at these verses and talk about what happens when you're on the porch with Jesus. Because that's a concept I want you to get, and I've already explained to you that I understand that if it's taken out of context, it can be a little kitschy, a little eh. But isn't everything that way? So let's get the context down. Now, I also have set up notes for you this morning that have a lot of extra text already in there for you because there's a lot that I just, if I was listening to this, I wouldn't have time to write down. But do not lose these notes. You're going to want them later this week. Just trust me on that. If God's going to speak in your heart, you're going to want these notes throughout the week because what he teaches us here is incredibly important for the average Christian that's in America in 2020. And then you add the Lifehouse circumstances onto it, COVID onto it, all of these things. And this message is, is very, very timely. So the first point is that we see when we get on the porch with Jesus in Bethesda is the multitude. The multitude is there. Verses 1 through 4 basically lays, lays it out. And by the sheep gate, these pools, by the way, are still there. The remnants of them are still there. When we go to Israel, we go there. And I think of this passage all the time, and I think about how Jesus created a new life for somebody. He created a clean slate for somebody on this day. And it just happened to be a Sabbath. But if you look at verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And your two subpoints today under number one is they are wretched and they are waiting. Let's start with they are wretched. I mean, come on, here's a group of people that are just pitiful. It's a wretched group. Their sickness, I mean, do they not, if you look at it through the lens of all of Scripture, do they not kind of give a portrait in the helplessness and the uselessness of a sinner? Even though a lost person may be healthy of body, they are still sick in the soul and they are separated from God. And so a sinner, like these paralyzed people hanging around this pool, were all wretched. And then they're waiting. They're waiting. The people are waiting on an angel to come and they're waiting for an opportunity to get into the water and be healed. In verse 4, it says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. If you have a CSB or NIV or ESV translation, you will not even have verse 4 listed in your Bible. But it's in the New King James Version, which is why we're there today. That extra explanation is there in a lot of the manuscripts, but in some of the manuscripts it's not there in the early text because it was so commonly known that that's what the people believed about Bethesda. That's why everybody went there. 
And, and yet they had to wait. They had to wait for the water to be stirred. Now, if you study this in the, in the ancient world that has left us history to, to, to see, it's not like the angels showed up every day, y'all. It wasn't like he was there at 4 o'clock on Thursdays. Might have been once a year. Might have been once every two years. He might have shown up three times in a week one time. All I know is that the Jewish people believed that when those waters were stirred, people who got into the water first got healed. Now, is this true? I can't say that it's not. But they waited. They were hopeful. They wanted to be healed. And then here comes the great physician walking amongst them, giving them the solution that they seek. He's passing right by them. And the very one who can heal the entire multitude was in their midst, and they failed to recognize him. Is that not a picture of the lost sinner? People struggle with sin's bondage and oppression. Men look for every way under the sun to fill the voids in their life, all the while Jesus passes by unnoticed, unheard, unheeded, because it's uncool. Or it doesn't fit the narrative of the American way in the new millennium. See, there are two great portraits in the Bible which picture the heart of Jesus for fallen men. One is in Matthew 23, 37. It's his weeping over Jerusalem. And two, in Revelation 3, 20, it's his knocking at the door of man's heart. If you think you love your parents, if you think you love your child, if you think you love your grandchildren, it's very, very small compared to the immense love that our Creator God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, loves for each one of you and for me. The point is, men go on in their sins, headed to an eternity separated from God, and all the while Jesus is passing by, even on their porch, and they sometimes fail to recognize and respond to him. What a shame. Now, I can testify to you that I have a porch set up in my last three homes, including the one in Abilene, which I had to have, that has a porch where I spend a lot of devotional time with God. And even there, I will have times where Jesus passes right by, and I'm so stewed in my stewy stewness about something that he goes right on past. Based on a few of the reactions, I'm not alone. Point number two in your notes is the man. The man, verses 5 and 7 says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. I've been dealing with this stuff with my hands since May. Turns out it's a dermatitis you get from using too much hand sanitizer that I used in April. And I've got to keep my hands dry. My solution was moisturize, 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 which is the exact opposite of what this condition requires. I've got to keep my hands completely dry. And the steroid that I'm supposed to buy is like, it's a tube that I got to get a prescription for, which means I got to go see a doctor. So it's just, it's, it's, just a, it's, it's just a problem, but I know what the solution is. This guy, 38 years, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. The sub point A of verse 2 is he was disabled. 
he was disabled. Here's a man who's unable to do for himself. In verse 7, he says he had to be carried where he goes. He's forced to beg his way through life. He's totally helpless and useless to those around him. What a, what a picture of you and me as sinners before God. Lost people are spiritually crippled. Have you ever thought of it that way? You can't get to God on your own. You can't do it. And too many people want to, I want, this is my life. Jesus, come alongside and make this better. And Jesus is like, no, forget that. I'm going to heal you, and you're going to come with me on my journey. And it's going to be better than what you had planned for yourself. Not in man's wisdom, but in God's wisdom. See, if you're lost, you can't even pray. You can't worship. You can't truly enjoy the things of God. You're not on the same level of those of us who know Jesus. You're not. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but whatever's going through your head and your heart, if you're lost without Jesus, this is not the same experience. You're not experiencing the same things. You can't be used of the Lord for his glory. You can't serve him. To be lost is a horrible, crippling, sinful thing. In fact, the reality is really, really bad. The Bible has a lot to say about it. You're worthless. I'm worthless in a lost, sinful state. Just like this crippled man. Point B of number two. He was desperate. Just the fact that he's at this pool is an indication that he was desperate for healing. Now here's a man who, if the angel did come, he'd have to try to drag his body across the porch to get into the pool. Imagine that pitiful scene. Again, the picture is the sinner. I do not believe for a minute that someone wants to go to hell. I don't believe for a minute someone wants to be separated from the incredible mercy and joy and greatness that is the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our life. I'm convinced most people want to know for sure they're going to go to heaven when they die, but the problem is most are looking for a way other than God's way. People seem willing to try any plan but God's plan. Religion, work, support group, 12-step plans are all placed ahead of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, many of you who know me well enough to know my affinity for the 12-step plan, I always say Jesus is the higher power. There is no other higher power. Well, I've been sober for 10 years using Buddha. Well, good for you. You've never really put the pedal to the metal then because Buddha is not getting you where you need to go. Jesus is the higher power that saves, that heals, and I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again. And I love the 12-step plan. Help me. It's helped a bunch of the people here that I've gotten to talk to on the Coffee with Chris. And it's the power of Jesus Christ that changes people. But again, in man's desperation, we often miss the mark and we wind up losing the only thing that you possess, and that's your soul. That's what's on the line, is your soul. That's what Life, Church, that's what Life House Church is here for, is to strengthen your soul so God can use you in ways that you never thought possible to be used before. And that might be as simple as clicking a button on a computer in the back of a sanctuary on Sunday. Or whatever God's calling you to do. Stand up here and sing with these folks. Work in the nursery. Work in the coffee bar. Join the prayer posse that is the life of Pi. Be a praying person. See, when you come to know Jesus, one of the things that he takes away from you and if you're like me, you take it back every day. But he takes it away, and then you try to get it back, and he takes it away, and that is point three, 
or C of point two, and that is he was often disappointed. Often disappointed. I struggle with disappointment all the time. And I am so much better now than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Time and again, this man had seen others get into the pool ahead of himself. Time and again, his dreams of a completely whole life, just something that he thought he should have, was shattered. Time and again, he was forced to drag his broken body off his old pallet and wait another time for another yet disappointment. But yet he still kept coming back to the porch because it was all he had. There was nothing else he could possibly even think of. And we see the sinner. We see man search for solace, and his soul leads him to many disappointing endeavors, including Christianity, if you do not come to Jesus surrendered at the foot of a cross of a broken sinner. If you're adding Jesus to what you already got going on, expect disappointment. Or... Look at your neighbor's Christianity, and when they fall, see, it's not real. Because no matter what a man tries to do to bring peace to his soul, nothing else will work. You want a clean slate Sunday for your life? You want it for your church? You want it for Abilene? You want it for Kansas? You want it for the United States of America? It means coming to the physician who can heal you of your infirmities. And he does the work. See, there's five things, and I listed them so you don't have to speed write. I listed them in the notes for the sermon today. There's five things that people will try to do to bring peace in their life. They will try religion and good works, and it'll fail you. The scriptures are there for you to look up on your own time. Number two, being a good person will fail you. Number three, trusting in the goodness of God will fail you. If you're just trusting in God's goodness, well, God's goodness, Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. God's goodness, he's just going to love everybody. It's going to be great. I called him a heretic on the air in his hometown. I got fired. Best day of Emily's life, she says. Ask her about it sometime. Number four, family associations will fail you. Number five, church affiliation will fail you. I am planning on doing a big push for membership because I know the importance of it. I know what it means to the person to be committed. Just like if you're living with your with your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, you need to get married. You get what I'm saying? There's a commitment there that God's calling us to in the gathering together of the saints. That's why I'm doing it because of what's there. But if that's all we have is a push for membership, it's a joke and it'll fail us. And we'll all be disappointed. Understand the spirit behind the push for membership now, today, on Clean Slate Sunday. Stay with me now. What I'm trying to say is that anything other than Jesus will fail you for the salvation of your soul and for the growing of you in Christ to be what he's calling you to be. We know that I'm not called to be in the NBA. And I got a great low post move, y'all. But that's not my calling. That'll never be my calling. My calling is to pastor Lifehouse Church, and that's been confirmed in the last 52 days so many times I, I, can't complain, I can't argue with it. You have a calling too. If you're not saved, the calling for you is to come to Jesus. And there's a great opportunity at the end of this service where you can come and have a time of confession and prayer. 
If you are saved and you've given your life to Jesus, there's a calling for you as well. And he gives his mercies every day, each day new. Why? Because you're moving forward in your calling. You're moving away from the disappointment. There are a lot of good things you can do and be involved with, but salvation lies in Jesus and in him alone. And when you have that, you have everything and everything else just falls into place. There are two scriptures that back this up. Acts 4.12 and John 14.6. Acts uh, 4.12, if we got it. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You want to do a 12-step program? You want a higher power? His name is Jesus Christ, and he's the only one. Why? Because John 14.6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That doesn't say no one except the Muslims in the Middle East. No one except the Buddhas uh, in, in Asia. No, no one comes to the Father except through him. So where's your trust this morning? I just gave you two religious examples. Is it in your job? Is it in your family? Please tell me it's not in this country. How could anyone have trust in America at this point? We need to have trust in point number three. The Messiah. The Messiah is where we have trust. Verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. The A point there is his compassion in verse 6. Verse 6, Jesus just had compassion on him after the time that he had spent. And he shows this man compassion in three ways, and I've got them listed also in your notes. Let me just share them with you, and then we'll go back through each one real quick. Number one, Jesus chose him out of all the others. There's a lot of people laying around that pool. He chose him. Number two, Jesus knew his wretched condition and he still cared for him. And number three, Jesus offered him a chance to begin again. He offered him a clean slate. Point one, the Bible says that a great multitude there was that day. Jesus could have stopped by any person's bed in that place, but he chose to stop there at your mat, on your pallet. In your sinful, crippled state, you'd lie in there. Jesus stopped and looked at you. And he passes by our heart's door and he knocks. And he desires entrance. And when that door is open and Jesus is invited in, salvation occurs. Somebody says, well, are you saved when you say the sinner's prayer? No, you're not. Please understand, you're not saved by saying a sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is the vehicle in which we use to transfer trust to Jesus for the salvation of our soul. So the act of saying the sinner's prayer with a pure heart is a vehicle that does provide salvation. But if you just say the sinner's prayer to try to add Jesus to what you got going on, you are now what I call falsely converted. And you do not pick up your mat and walk. You don't. And everybody who's been a Christian for five minutes or longer has to know somebody who never picked up their mat and walked. And that's wheat and tares, and they look the same. And Jesus says, don't even try to separate them. I'll do that at the harvest time. You just be faithful to me. That right there was just a little mini preview to next Sunday's message. See, in his love, which we haven't earned, 
We haven't been good enough. We've done nothing. We're crippled. He comes by and he calls us. And in that unmerited love and favor of Jesus towards sinners, he gives us grace. Do you know what Bethesda means? It means house of grace. That's what these porches mean. Point number two, he knew his wretched condition. He still cared for him. Jesus looked beyond the problems and he saw the great need. Jesus knows everything that you've ever done, every thought you've ever had. Me too. And he loves us and he cares for us, not because we're going to be good enough someday, but just as we are. Jesus doesn't come to make good people or bad people good. He comes to make dead people live. And when you live for him, you die to this world. There's the DPC. It's an amazing transference. It's, it's, it's absolutely fabulous in its truth, in its, in its authentic, pure form. But like everything, there's always counterfeits. And I'm here as the pastor of Lifehouse Church, and anybody who wants to be a member here, anybody who wants to visit here, anybody who wants to attend, to give you the authentic pureness in its pure form, even when it's uncomfortable, because that's what we need. I got nothing else, people. There's nothing else. Is your pastor mysterious? No, he's a real basic dude. He loves Jesus and he knows nothing else because Jesus first loved him. Because Jesus knew his wretched condition and he cared for him. And he requires no changes. He requires no changes for you to come to him. I remember being in Arizona and this young man came up to me after a concert that Emily and I were hosting. He's like, and I'm like, dude, you got to get into a church. You got to find a Bible believing church. He's like, I can't go to church till I clean myself up a little bit more. I'm like, well, dude, I, I said Bible believing church, not the visible church. You don't need to clean yourself up to go. I'm at Lifehouse Church because this is that place. It's a former car dealership. We we, we have a coffee bar. We have people come as you are. Lifehouse Larry, Lifehouse Linda. We're that place. And we need a clean slate and a fresh start to remind ourselves that it's all about Jesus in his authentic, pure form. And everybody's welcome to come in. Do not think you've got to clean yourself up to come to this church. Because this is a real church. This is the gathering together of the saints. Because in our wretched condition, we recognized the Savior. And he said, pick up your mat and walk. And we did. And in point number three, he offered him a chance to begin again. One day, Jesus, uh, you meet Jesus, and you're offered a chance to begin again. What a blessing. Jesus would reach out to the helpless, people who are lost and living broken lives, and he gives them a second verse. He gives them a clean slate. The sinner gets a fresh start as a saint of God. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm looking at some of you, and you're just as pitiful as me, okay? We got a fresh start in Jesus, and, and he looks at us as if we're a saint. Pick up your mat and walk. Do you realize what that means in a spiritual context? That means that my sinful, pathetic, incredibly gross life and yours, if we, you know Jesus, the two of us are going to be set in front of a holy God and he cannot be in the presence of sin and Jesus is going to present us on that day as if we're perfect and God already looks at us that way. Eternal life has already started for us. He's offering us as a church a chance to really begin again this fall, this year right now. Back to the text. Why did Jesus ask this man if he wanted to be healed? 
One possible explanation is that he did this to elicit a confession of helplessness and dependence. I'm going to say that again. Don't miss this. Why did he ask the dude if he wanted to be healed? Because he wanted a confession of helplessness and dependence. The same is true for salvation. Jesus combines and offers men salvation, but it hinges on their willingness to admit their need. Before salvation can come into any life, a sinner must do three things. Again, I printed them in your notes so you don't have to write fast. Number one, confess himself a sinner. Scriptures are there, look them up. Number two, be convinced of a need for Jesus Christ. You know you have a need. And Jesus, I'm telling you as a witness to the congregation, he is the only one that can fill the need. And you believe that. And then you claim Christ as your personal Savior. And yes, you can do the prayer to get there. But do not trust in the prayer. Trust in that as the vehicle to get you where you need to be, which is in the arms of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, the blood covering your life. Whatever phrase you need to use, it all means the same thing. And point B of number three is his command. Jesus responds by commanding this man who has not walked in 38 years to get up and pick up his bed and walk. This is incredible. This is, in, it, it, it's insane what, what, what happened here. However, the, all that was required on the part of the crippled man was what? Simple, childlike faith and obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. Childlike faith and obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. When the call comes to the sinner who is lost in his ways, the only necessary response is faith. I'm a crippled. You're going to tell me to pick up? Well, I better try. And then he stands up, picks up his mat. Sometimes when Jesus passes by and he says, look, get out of the gutter and follow me, men refuse because it sounds too simple. And by the way, I'm using the word men, and you can transfer that to people, okay? Human beings, men, women, it just sounds too simple. Because it is. Have you ever thought about that? It sounds simple because it really is that simple. Jesus doesn't require perfection. He just requires faith in him. I suppose that's why it's easy for little children to be saved. They're used to depending on others. Mom and daddy take care of everything. But for grown adults to trust in Jesus, we're taught to stand on our own two feet. That leads us to our last point. C of number three is his control. His control. The Bible makes it plain that this man was miraculously instantly healed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instantly. Boom. It was done. It required no input from the patient. Jesus spoke. The man was healed. And all he had to do was get up and walk away. When Jesus spoke, this man responded by getting up and walking at the command of Jesus. Jesus expected this man to walk right now. Not after physical therapy. Right now. Jesus has the power to take any life broken by sin, and I mean any life, yours, mine, anyone you know, and make it over again. 
He has the ability to take any life and use it for his glory. He's all-powerful, all-saving, and awesome. Praise God for the day he lifted me out of sin's prison. And when you come here, whether we're singing contemporary music or we're singing hymns or we're singing a cappella or we're just humming the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't matter. You do it with joy when you've been lifted out of sin's prison. There's nothing else that's more important to you than praising him and giving him thanks. That's why Paul teaches us to pray all throughout his writings. Come with thanksgiving. Come with thanksgiving. Come with a thankful heart. How do you not? How do you not? When you understand what Jesus did. The power over any life broken by sin. And here's the other thing I want you to notice as we head towards closing today. Did you notice that the healing of this cripple did not even cause a stir among the other sick folk that day. You'd have thought they'd all been crying out for healing, the great physicians in their mix. However, if they did, the scriptures, the scriptures are silent about it. I would believe in my studying of the Bible that there would have been a mention of some other people coming forward. There's something about it that is personal. Remember the 10 lepers Jesus healed, only one came back and thanked him? Nine just took off and did their own thing. See, a lot of times we get so wrapped up, the human being gets so wrapped up with themselves and they carry on with their business as usual that when Jesus passes by, they don't even notice. He is perceived as no more than a nuisance. That's sad, but that's true. So in conclusion today, I ask, what about you? Jesus is walking through this place this morning. Jesus is coming here today to give some of us a clean slate for church ministry. He's coming to give some of us a clean slate for our personal walk with him. And for some of you, he's coming to ask you to take up your mat and walk for the first time, spiritually. To save you by his grace and give you a new life in him. He will fit you for heaven. He will take you there someday. And so the question is, what's it going to be? When Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Do you want new life in Jesus Christ? He's waiting on you to come to him this morning. Will you do it? In about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you guys to stand for the benediction. At the conclusion of the benediction, we're going to play the song, I Am Free. I'd encourage you, if you need to go, go. Pray, take the notes with you, do what you got to do. And if there's only three or four of us that are here for the time of prayer confession, that's a win for Lifehouse Church. That's a win for the kingdom of God. But if you'd like to be introduced to Jesus as your personal Savior, if you have anything else in your heart you'd like to confess, if you'd just like to be a part of it with us, I'd encourage you to stay because we're going to shut the doors in about five minutes and it's just going to be us. Cameras are going to be off. Lights are going to be off. We're just going to be down here together. So I'd ask you to stand now for the benediction. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for stopping by and healing this paralyzed man and that he could be used for your glory all these years ago. Thank you for using this as a template for us to be able to see our spiritual need through the physical needs of this man. Lord, thank you for saving your children that are here today to worship you, including myself. 
Lord, we just love you and thank you and praise you so much. We love you for living the perfect life we couldn't live, for being that perfect sacrifice, and you willingly went to the cross and died, and then victory over death, hell, and the grave, so you can give us eternal life. We just love you so much, Jesus. Hear our praise today and hear our prayers. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.